Welcome to the Heart of Soul podcast, an exploration of who you are, what you are, and why you are, offering new ways to investigate age-old questions at the heart of you. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. We're back from our break and dive spontaneously into the increasingly popular subject of shamanism, a topic with which I have a lot of firsthand experience, as I'll talk about. We cover both the allure and power of shamanism, as well as the risk and limits from identity's perspective. This discussion includes the critical pre-trans fallacy brought to us by philosopher Ken Wilber, how plants understand universal but not personal love, revisiting the difference between energy and emotion as it pertains to shamanism, the dangers of etheric parasites, and of course, much more. A quick announcement on June 17th, 2023 in Clubhouse, our friend Eric Grace will host a gathering of EBE and soul mentors to talk about identity and answer questions for participants. That will be at 10.30 Pacific time on Clubhouse in the Holy, that's with a WH, Holy Human Club, uh, operated by Eric Grace. Stace, Bree, Eric, myself, and others will be there. And when we get together, very interesting things tend to happen. So I sure hope you can make it. See the link in the show notes for a Clubhouse invitation. If you can't make it and want to email questions for us to field, you can email me at joseph, J-O-S-E-F, at clearandopen.com. Thanks so much for listening. Well, greetings and welcome forward, uh, about six weeks forward for Stace and I. We took a little break. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I feel already not just rusty, but like I've never done this before. Um, and of course, <laughs> I never have done this before or this or this or this. Yes, well, every moment you can say that it's a new universe. Every yeah. Uh, and I was delighted to hear that Stace wanted to talk uh, just a few minutes ago and he let me know what we we're talking about today. Uh, we're going to be covering shamanism in some different ways today. And that's an area of interest for me. And I know a lot of people that I know. So where would you like to begin? Well, let's, um, let's do a little bit of a intro. Um, like so many different domains, uh, identities paradigm is based on the fact uh, on the what if <laughs> the mm -hmm. fact of a what if uh, we were emotional, emoto soulful beings before we were energetic beings, willful beings, mental beings and physical beings. Uh, if that is true, if that is true, then um, shamanism and shamanic healing, which has been around for many thousands of years uh, in different cultures, mostly initiated by tribal cultures um, in, the in the past, uh, most of them in the <laughs> that have lasted to the, to the present day um, from South America a lot, um, but if if it is true that we are emoto soulful beings before we're even energetic beings, then that means shamanism and shamanic healing is due for a millennial update, a several millennial update, making um, the standard model for most shamanism and shamanic healing where we're it's based on energy uh, um, and raising energy and changing energy and intervening with different bandwidths of energy uh, to access higher states of consciousness, um, well, obsolete. Mm. Now, that, that's a strong statement, but remember it's all based on what if identity's picture uh, might possibly be accurate. 
And that's how we, we avoid all dogmatic absolutism and simply ask a question and live into that question, which identity does every single day, including um, the controversial um, uh, take it has on um, sh what shamanism and shamanic healing now must include if it's going to be in tune and resonant with the God feels yin divinity uh, flavor and bandwidth. And this is particularly important because in a very strange turn of events, shamanism has actually never been more popular. Um, yes. Which mm -hmm. is a strange thing to actually consider that we were well into the 21st century and mm -hmm. a, um, a, a, a <clears throat> tribal um, methodology and an ancient um, uh, tribal methodology is becoming more and more popular, not less and less. Like that's not happening with Christianity and Buddhism <laughs> right. and is well, Islam was growing really fast. I don't, I don't know if it's still growing as fast, but the popularity of shamanism in the states is is huge, um, and uh, there's a lot of unforeseen consequences happening. And we also should probably talk about the pre-trans fallacy at some point because yeah. that that Absolutely. also comes to Let's start with that, Joseph. That's a great starting place. Um, in identity's picture of things, of course, shamanism began in a pre-egoic era. Um, this was many thousands of years ago in different tribal um, uh, cultures where the collective uh, was the defining uh, dynamical bandwidth of, of um, tribal uh, culture. In other words, individuality was never seen in, in tribalism uh, or its um, foray into shamanism and shamanic healing. The in individual was never seen as the primary unit of the, of the community or of the culture or of the tribe. It's always been what is good for the collective is good for each individual. And of course, uh, Marx uh, took that uh, in this last century before uh, to a certain political and uh, administrative governmental kind of format uh, that uh, collectivism was the only real way to build a, um, uh, a functioning and quote unquote heartful kind of culture or community. The spectacular failure of, mm -hmm. um, of communism um, has some data that may foretell um, what in the future century coming up uh, or even less may also bode not so well for shamanism. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to br bring that forward because in identity's picture, and we're not, if it's true, that we there are phases to evolutionary consciousness uh, growth uh, from pre-egoic to uh, egoic to meta-egoic. We um, we for we don't use I don't use transegoic because Wilbur sort of kidnapped that uh, term and took that's, it down the road. That's the uh, philosopher Ken Wilbur. For those of you taking notes, he's right. the coiner of the pre-trans fallacy term, which exactly. is brilliant. So we would call yes. it the pre-meta fallacy. We'd rewrite it. <laughs> <laughs> if we did, yeah, it's uh, we would agree with uh, Ken on this one uh, in his formulation, even though his conclusions uh, where he takes that we would not agree with. But uh, defining that pre-trans uh, fallacy is re was really important because so many uh, folks, especially in the West, got confused when non-dual paradigms started to reach uh, America uh, in the 60s and 70s, uh, thinking that uh, it, this was a... Um, that the non-dual was somehow equivalent to the 
uh, pre-rational uh, state of consciousness of a child. Yeah. Uh, and so he just blew that one out of the water brilliantly and intellectually, and we would agree with that. We just don't agree with his end game. Uh, uh, and of course, that that undermines the whole um, uh, his whole philosophy in many ways. But again, you don't have to believe any of this. We're just um, positing possibilities here. Mm -hmm. So that pre-trans fallacy comes in directly because every bit of shamanism is rooted in pre-egoic collectivism, and uh, this was um, pre pre-rational. Um, and it, we're not saying in identity that this was bad. It was evolutionarily appropriate for the time it was spawned uh, in our in our world and in all of our world cultures. So, but evolution doesn't stand still, but traditions Wait. tend to. Yeah, let, let me take a stab at the pre-trans fallacy as, as I understand it, um, because uh, I, I just want to make sure people hear it in this okay. context. And the way sure. I understand it is the, the pre-trans fallacy is that um, oh, my mind's not working very well today, forgive me, um, that just because something, well, like a, a childlike state of consciousness that gets along well with others and goes with the flow and doesn't rebel and is easygoing um, can appear to be transcendent, but actually isn't necessarily. They can look yeah. the same, but be coming from very different places. And the so the idea of how that's relevant to shamanism is or, or tribalism in general, which is the new age uh, paradigm um, really held up on a pedestal, you know, in um, reasonable and good defenses of indigenous peoples and all that. But they also looked, oh, look, these people seem to get along really well and they don't have these strong egos and strong personalities causing lots of internal conflict. We should be more like them which exactly. is going backward consciousness wise um, yes. and the idea and because there's some similarities when people awaken there's some transcendent qualities that look like that those two things can be easily confused yes uh, in in um, in folks that are not um, educated deeply in the subtleties and the metaphysics involved so I'm glad you clarified that uh, as always Joseph speaks in terms that um, uh, certainly I can't do in many ways, which is why this podcast is such a um, fun thing to do. Yeah, that so, was fun. In that, and that's a thank you, Joseph. So in that yeah. sense, um, uh, everything we're going to say here now is based on the idea that pre-egoic uh, cultures and tribalism and collectivism is an evolutionary dead end uh, um, since, in, since the age of reason began when um, I think therefore I am came into view and all of a sudden the individual became worthy of a metaphysical attention, a positive metaphysical attention, uh, uh, even though is at the, at the dawn of um, what we could call humanism and humanistic ethics as it came alive uh, in the last 300 years or so, 400 years. So in that sense, um, identity offers that is the proper time when collectivism should have been retired. Um, mm. But uh, since many younger souls incarnatively uh, continue to um, incarnate in the in in the earth uh, and still populate tribalisms and collectivisms, especially in indigenous peoples, um, then uh, the whole idea of individuality is not 
is not appropriate, individuality as the unit, as the next step in consciousness evolution, isn't appropriate for indigenous peoples. It is appropriate for indigenous peoples to continue to use collectivism in their tribal cultural ethos. Mm -hmm. um, we have no argument uh, metaphysically with that. Where we enter the uh, fray, though, is when Western uh, individuated cultures uh, that are psychologically aware and more philosophically rooted, and I think therefore I am, get seduced into using uh, tribalism, sh tribal-based shamanisms in the modern day uh, um, inappropriately for their egoic phase that they're that they have entered in since the uh, 2019th or 18th century as we got started. So that's where we start to part ways. Um, so it's important to note that we're not saying that uh, indigenous people's cultures uh, should be um, becoming more egoically oriented healthily. Uh, we're saying that uh, the West, deeply uh, ensconced in egoic society, uh, individuality as, as not just primary, but certainly in the forefront. Um, if we employ sh uh, tribalistic, shamanistic, um, uh, teachings in a in an egoic society, thinking that that will lead us to meta egoic truths, is a really slippery slope. I have so much to say on this subject. I was saying before we started recording, um, you know, Stace sort of surprised me with this topic as as he often does. But literally just last night, I was sitting in the bathtub looking at the book I wrote about my own. Um, uh, shamanist, shamanistic, shamanistic, yeah, shamanistic experiences, um, and thinking about finishing it, and here we are talking about it. So, we talk we talk a lot about conceptually and theoretically the dead endings of paradigms, but shamanism is a paradigm that I personally dead ended, and <laughs> so I feel like I've got some actual expertise in a grounded way here about it, and I just want to put that background into space here um, after. Uh, EBE 1.0. So I had all the knowledge about what we're talking about here. This was all in the teaching then, um, and uh, the the dangers and uh, the possible misguidednesses and the possible transcendent stuff and all of that. And I ran into a shaman who became a friend of mine, and it sort of was just right on the plate in front of me, life just sort of put it in front of me where I had the opportunity to do a lot of ayahuasca ceremonies over a lot of years. I had really easy access to it. And I did 94 ayahuasca ceremonies in four years. And um, it was absolutely incredible, sometimes blissful, stupendous, amazing. I mean, I can't even put words to it. It was also incredibly difficult at times. And in the end, I got to experience what I'd already been taught. And um, so that's why I feel qualified to, to talk about this. And um, I, I've already met one person I just started working recently with, uh, two people actually, where that experience came to bear. And I actually said to the first one, I said, you know, I wondered um, when I dead ended it and I uh, retired from my uh, entheogen career, um, as it were, I said, I wonder one day, I think, I think this is going to serve me one day because I'll be able to reach people who have this in either this life past or past life past and be able to meet them better where they are because I went through this and that's already happening. So I don't regret the experience at all. I did have some difficulties because of it. There were some uh, sequelae, um, but um, there was one other thing I wanted to say about that. Um, 
Well, the the oh one one thing I wanted to say is uh, that I thought recently about this um, because we're, when we're talking about shamanism, we're usually usually talking about um, plants, uh, whether it's psilocybin or ayahuasca or peyote or washuma or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never, and I've sat in you know about a hundred integration circles following the ceremony. I have never heard not once anyone talk about getting guidance from a plant about an intimate relationship. Not once. <laughs> I have heard hundreds. What a coincidence. I know. Coincidence. And what I tell people about that is I go, because plants don't know about being an individual. They don't know. They know a lot about being a collective entity. That's right. All plants are collective entities. So it's natural for them to um, not know anything about human consciousness. Yeah, but they won't say, I don't know, you better seek guidance of a therapist. Instead, they give you a universalized answer because they see they don't see personal love. They only see universal love. So if you ask them a personal love question, it's like a computer. You know, it's like they're only going to operate with the information they have. So when you ask a plant an individualized question, you will get a universalized answer. And that can be really powerful. And because of the nature of the universal, it can seem infinite. But it's yes. not. It's not <laughs> it's infinite. Not. And this is this is the trap. This is yeah. the trap. But you know, you're uniquely qualified here. I, I never got caught up in it. Um, I was born knowing this kind of stuff, and that's mm-hmm. not a that that is not said with any ego. Is more of a disability, as I've said in other podcasts. But um, it's it's so important uh, that this distinction is made because um, when we're talking about uh, universality. Uh, that is mistaken for meta-egoic um, uh, yeah. consciousness bandwidth. And this is just, in identity's point of view, simply, uh, tragically erroneous. And, and you're even more uniquely qualified because identity teaches go all the way into whatever seems to call your soul yeah. into activity until you dead end. And this is why your your authority in this domain is a far greater than mine in experiential terms. So it's so wonderful um, to be able to talk about this, and it's a big topic. A lot of a lot of subdomains in this topic. So this will probably be a multiple. Probably, um, yeah. I was just podcast, thinking, looking at my given, watch. <laughs> well, given Joseph's uh, um, loquacity, is that loquacity? Isn't that a uh, loquaciousness? That a, I know. Loquaciousness. Sure, loquacity. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Ness and ITY, you know, Edenness. Yeah, Edenity. I've got a lot to say about the subject. And I'm so glad it's because, you know, we'll get on to the subject of parasites and but just yeah. the, the universalism, because when I after I did um, sort of grind to a halt in it and the experience of the dead ending for me was um, I was lacking energy. You know, it takes like focus and energy to get through an all night ceremony. You know, you go till like one or two a.m. and start at sunset. And I was starting to just, I was having like a a third or a half the energy that I used to have. I just couldn't get through it. I couldn't maintain the focus. It was like something in me was just running out of steam for it and um, nothing could seem to help. And I had a sense that there was a little bit more runway, but it was like a diminishing returns feeling. Um, Mm -hmm. And then there was a big sort of finale. I won't bother getting into the details, but a, a story arc that began in the first few ceremonies um, finally completed and I just knew I was done. Um, mm-hmm. but it was so good that, that I finished it. 
And um, but the I think I'm still in some ways, you know, it's like uh, and then I combined it with a Zen path. Speaking of dead ending, I was doing that at the same time. And ayahuasca was helping me somehow learn. She taught me how to meditate in so many different ways. I think I probably did. There were some nights where I felt like I'd done six months of meditation in like three hours. And I believe that that it, that will yeah because there, there's overlap there and yeah. and ayahuasca's um, soul yeah. soulfulness uh, with with uh, the non-dual yeah so it's just so a, that. Yeah, so that all was happening, and uh, boy, I'm losing my. Stay said something to me a couple of days ago that has made my mind falter quite a lot. <laughs> it's it's always a good thing, but forgive me, I keep losing my train of thought. Oh, what was the other thing I want to say? It makes for terrible radio. Um, <laughs> yeah, but we're we're on we're on video now too. On, I know, I know, but you know, it's, it's, they call the dead air in the radio. <laughs> yes, days. of course, right. Um, right. Oh, uh, the the God, I almost got it again. Um, Oh, the um, I remember um, in during 1.0 when you would work with people who had, you know, years and decades of Zen experience. Um, I remember how you would work with them and uh, and like you know, to get them back into their body and not transcending their emotions. And so there I was. I witnessed it all and I saw it and you spoke. I've heard you speak for hours and hours and hours about the dangers of this. And I apparently I needed to do it anyway because I understood all that. And my sort of Zen teacher had to twist my arm a little bit. But, but what did I have? I had the teaching in my mind, but not the experience. So apparently I needed the right. experience. Absolutely. But, but now I can say from both the Zen work I did and the um, shamanism that I, I actually have the experience now that accessing my emotions is far more difficult than it was before sometimes because there's still and I've been back in EBE for two years now over two years and I still feel this like sometimes I feel like I've got to dig a hole to find what I'm feeling as a human being because there's a sort of default state of being above it all yes. and so um, I, I would say to anyone considering shamanism uh, or Zen, for that matter, which are both very uh, universalizing and transcendent yes. things, um, if you're called to do it, do it. If you're not, be, be careful because it, can, it will make your emotional, personal work far more difficult in some ways. In other ways, it makes it easier. It helps you with the meta. You got right. meta. You got so, meta, but there's a high price to pay about embodiment. Yeah. That's the thing. Uh, yeah. And this is this is. I'm glad you brought in the dimension of Zen too, because mm -hmm. the, everything we say about shamanism is also true about pure non-dualism. Yeah. Um, uh, and the purest version on the planet that I would, in my opinion, is Zen. It was my own track uh, 35 years ago. Mm -hmm. So um, what we're going to say about shamanism also applies to uh, Zen because it's all based on transcendence. Yeah. Uh, transcendence of the dualistic mind, the transcendence of all things uh, being uh, your identity, uh, dualistic identity, your sense of yourself, your ego structure, all those things. And, and, the, and the metaphysics of that is that even if, as I knew, um, as I because I came from the identity frame when I was doing Zen of like, OK, I'm going to heal the fear of not being. This is not for transcending. And it was the same with ayahuasca. And ayahuasca brought me right to that fear of not being many times. Right. Even though I was actively, consciously, and productively doing that, I still uh -huh. had a shadow aspect that was grabbing onto it and using it to transcend. And, yes. and I didn't realize that until 
two or three months into working with your wife, Bree. It was yeah. all happening unconsciously. So as long as that green um, uh, shadow aspect is active and present, um, even in an unconscious way, it's it's pulling on that. It's using that and storing it for its own purposes. And there's just no way to avoid it. Absolutely. And this is why um, uh, the nature of the unconscious has never been um, included in any of the metaphysical dharmas of any of these ancient traditions uh, mm -hmm. it's just it's just not there so in that sense you pay a, a deep price and i can tell you you know and i've said this in other podcasts too uh post uh, non-dual event uh, uh in, in my late 30s it was it took me literally three to four years to try even to get a semblance of um of uh, uh, uh the beginning of a of an embodiment of my human, because it is a, I used this metaphor before, it's like you're naked and standing on Mount Everest and uh, coming back to the personal, uh, which is technically not possible for most, uh, most uh, enlightened um, uh, teachers. They can't get back. I was only able to get back because I had a head start with divine being growing up. Um, I mean, and, and the fact that it's slammed back into reality uh, post enlightenment for me. So, in in this sense, uh, um, again, everyone's got to take their own path. Um, go all the way into Zen. Go all the way into whatever form of plant based shamanism uh, calls to you. Just just uh, take into account the possibility that you'll have a heavy price to pay in either paradigm to come out of the universal or the non dual forward to your personal which has never been the impediment ever only metaphysically in error uh held as the impediment to spiritual or uh or more universal states of consciousness yeah it's uh it's just not it's been sold by that by tribalism collectivism by zen in the east of all forms of buddhism and most forms of Advaita vedanta uh, it's all sold out there that the personal is either an illusion or an impediment. And the answer is either universalize or non-dualize. And uh, identity steps in and says, neither are the final answer. They can be partial answers until you get enough soul maturity to start realizing that uh, in identity's teaching, three two, up to two-thirds of our consciousness is unconscious to us. And the degree that the sh the degree that you're not in touch with the depth of your unconsciousness is the degree of the depth of your unconsciousness. Yeah. Uh, and so all of these factors all feed in the stream here to what what we want to talk about here in shamanism specifically. Uh, we've we've uh, deconstructed Zen and Buddhism and Advaita on other podcasts, but this is really important because of the popularity. In fact, shamanism and shamanic healing has been so kidnapped by new age, now age uh, folks that it's yeah. surpassed now um, uh, interest in the West. It's surpassed Eastern traditions. Uh, yeah, I guess it has. Yeah, it has in terms of numbers anyway, and interest. And well, because and it's, it's, a, more, uh, it's and a more watered down, more diluted form of it is. I was just going to say it's like it's more of a quick fix because it's like, yes. you know, what real meditation? First of all, they cleaved off inquiry entirely. Yes. And got yes. rid of that. that right right so they got rid of inquiry and left it as just meditation and then they denuded meditation and made it about state changing rather than finding the meditator 
Right, right. But even that was too much work. Now you just drink something or eat something, and then eight <laughs> hours later you're supposed to be healed. So it makes sense that it would be a faster, you know, it's closer to taking a pill. Yeah, it is. And, and and from identity's point of view, while it honors, again, for the thousandth time, everyone's got to do what they've got to do, it's a mm -hmm. devolution. It's a meta-devolution uh, because of the, what you just described as the path of getting simpler, more universal, and more narrow, um, a quick fix uh, dynamic. Uh, yeah. So pa paradigmatically, because I can hold both. So for me, I would say paradigmatically, it's a devolution. But individually, yes. I'm, I'm now able to help lots of people come back from that. Right. Oh, that's a great distinction. Personally, it's evolutional. Yeah. But paradigmatically, it's devolution. Yeah, well said. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and what, exactly. Yeah, that's a difficult and for, for most, it was I mean, it was a little difficult for me for when I was facing having to face the damage I did to myself. It was yeah. a little difficult to to be able to take that in because I had to take in the devolution aspects to be able to see what needed to be worked on in myself, uh, sure. and 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 so I had to work a bit to make that and, and that's why now I can finish that damn book. <laughs> Good for you. Well, and again, Joseph, I just I want to say uh, both to you personally, and I, I've said this in different ways before, and for the audience too, is you're you're a maniac. <laughs> and whatever you do, you're a maniac, and that's what makes you such an authority on maniacal dedication to mm -hmm. one paradigmism, not yeah. cherry-picking um, uh, uh, like most New Agers do. Well, I'll do a little ayahuasca over here, and I'll do a little meditating and Zen over there, and maybe yeah. I'll take some psychedelics to uh, make me less depressed or anxious. Uh, mm -hmm. And so paradigmatic cherry-pickers are... are are doomed to a dead end, but stick with it till it dead ends for you. So one day, one life, you'll see what we're mm -hmm. talking about here. But um, that's just our opinion. So, yeah, where should we? Yeah, well, how should we branch off here, Mister Man? Uh, well, um, parasites is an interesting topic. We could talk about that. We talked about the transcendence as a, we exhausted that topic. I think probably we have. Oh, there's a couple of things I want to say um, in related to that. Me too. Me too. Go. You go ahead. Um, about the collectivism because it's it can be really subtle so even though i was doing these ceremonies in a western context with western people not with members of a tribe members of individual community people it wasn't even really much of a community um you know so these were individuals but there wasn't just the collectivism that comes from the the fact that who you're working with is largely a plant and has a universal perspective, but the tradition and yeah. the the shaman I worked with um, trained in uh, was it Venezuela or Peru somewhere in South America I forget, but he he came from that and trained with those people. So the paradigm he was operating in was very much collectivistic, and I will never forget I was working with a very talented therapist at the time who was also my Zen coach. She was a Ajishanti student, and she was perfect for me at the time and wonderful. And she did some of those ceremonies. And so she met this shaman and she said after she met him, and I'd known him for, you know, a year or so already. And she made a single observation about him that I had not seen. And it was salient that I had not seen it. And she said, yeah, he doesn't process reality emotionally. And I went, oh, shit, like she was totally right. He didn't process reality emotionally, but he was very easygoing, super kind, super noble, Enneagram One, um, 
really brilliant social engineer who could sort of create a collectivistic vibe. I mean, he had he could be a tribal leader, you know, mm-hmm. had this kind of meta, but he himself was not strongly individually expressive, except yeah. sort of around the sides and in kind of clever ways. So you never you always sort of wondered what was really going on with him because he had this sort of shamanistic persona and you couldn't tell where there was a real him and where was the shamanistic persona. And it was because he was transcendent. He was lifted off of his bottom three chakras. Uh, yes. And you could see it in his eyes. I mean, they glowed. Yeah. Um, and and that's what that's what seduces the um, naive. Yeah. Is the, that that glow, that transcendent otherworldliness. Yeah. Uh, and that's what that's what hooks in so many younger souls, even middle middle aged souls. Younger souls tend to go for religions um, more, but uh, uh, in the in the in the developed nations, but shamanism and then less developed nations, tribal. And since we established this in previous episodes, he uh, is an Andromedan soul. So he's got one foot in the earthly and one foot in the etheric, which is what shamans often are. Um, And so that's very seductive to um, souls who are, you know, three or four tiers below that because they see, ooh, this guy's got access to the etheric realms, what we call the super phenomenal. Right, Uh, And they want to go on that journey. And so one more thing I want to say about that, when we would do these integration circles the following mornings, um, I would sometimes be like, you know, chomping at the bit and wanting to claw my own face off when people would talk about what they got from their experiences that where they were occasionally like really misinterpreting what happened um, Mm -hmm. because they didn't have the psychological tools Yes. Um, and uh, and, and they, they didn't have the, an individualized context for it. And there were things that really needed to be said to help people. And but the frame of those circles was you just say what you want to say. And there's no reflections. There's no interactions about it. You just speak into the group and then next. Yes. So he would almost never say no, anything. no inquiry. No yeah. inquiry. And sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say to him, because we were close and we're working with him. I mean, I became almost an assistant in some ways. I had so much experience. Um, I would say to him, like, hey, when so-and-so said such and such, like, didn't you see, like, they seemed like they totally misinterpreted that. Like, how did you read it? And sometimes he would be like, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. But, you know, people have to be left. It's between them and the medicine. They have to arrive at that themselves, which can be true. And it also can be a huge truth and service. Yes, uh, it, technically, if if uh, if a leader sees that and and uses that wonderful axiom uh, uh, in service of some individuals that might be true for and some it won't be true. Yeah, and that's the point. One of the points I wanted to make: the older the soul that gets um, hooked into uh, these kinds of uh, uh, consciousness bandwidths, the higher the penalty um, uh, on the higher the price they must pay to finally heal from it. Um, so again, what's what's um, healthy for a younger or middle-aged soul is toxic in many ways for a lot of older souls, not all. Um, and so being an older soul yourself, um, you've had to pay the price, but the price is worth paying because yeah. your embodiment of your maniacal uh, dedication to consciousness evolution is so extreme 
um, it, it, that, that that same ex, extreme extremity, if I can use an ITY thing there, <laughs> uh, is in services of, of helping people um, so they maybe not have to go through as many lifetimes yeah. learning what you learned this one lifetime. So and yeah. part of my penalty, that's a, maybe a good segue into parasites, because I did pick up a parasite and that was part of my penalty, which was a learning in and of itself. Um, sure. To know what it feels like to have one, which I'd only seen and read about. Let, let's, let's let me make one more point about yeah. universalism and transcendentalism, yeah. and then we'll go, go right to that, because I, I have a story I'd like to tell, too, uh, um, in, in my experience. that's really indicative of everything we're saying. So I just want to make the point that um, if you dilute, if you keep universalizing universalism, that is, if you keep expanding, it overlaps into non-duality. I made a point about this, and I want to just uh, deconstruct yeah. that just a little bit. The more thinned out universality and expansive it becomes, uh, sort of like the expanding universe uh, where planets and uh, galaxies are flying apart faster than the mass that they have should allow them to do um mm -hmm. it's a it's a, as you approach uh, infinity with universalism you arrive at non-duality ultimate yeah and featurelessness yeah. i want to i want to insert something about that because i experienced that a handful of times with the help of ayahuasca and yes. I, it always <laughs> seemed like and one time with ketamine actually um but um it seemed like a black hole to me and you you're approaching the black hole right and as you get closer and closer and closer um toward the Sing to the, sing to the singular well first is the event horizon you know the, the event horizon right yeah where nothing can um escape not even light and so as you get closer it becomes more and more allness and there's still a you experiencing allness and the universalness right. Right. But then when you cross over, um, first of all, the mind can't cross over the event horizon. Correct. And that's a wild thing. That's that's where you start to feel like you're going to die as you approach the event horizon, because the mind realizes like, oh, I'm not going to survive past this threshold. And exactly. if you're identified with your mind, then you feel like you're going to die. And I spent many minutes processing that terror. Yes. And then on the other side, you know you're not capturing any any of the experience and you're not going to remember it because your mind isn't there. Your soul is there or your consciousness right. is there. Right. Um, and then if you keep going and going and going, then the, the I'm experiencing the universal, that has to go too because if there's an I and, and everything, then there's still two things. Yes. And exactly. then eventually in the singularity, it all becomes one thing and then you lose consciousness, which is... Correct. But there's all these gradations along the way that yes. are really wild. Yeah, and that's why this is not a simple subject of black and white, of dual versus non-dual. Yeah. Um, there are so many segue, um, bandwidth segueing between universal and non-dual. Uh, and, and as you approach the event horizon uh, and the mind can't go any further, this is where Zen enlightenment is based. You, literally, it's, it's equivalent uh, in, that, mm -hmm. in that way. And that's why there's overlap uh, in extreme universalism to non-dualism uh, because of that segue. The mind can't go there. But in ancient traditions, and uh, if you if if um, if you define the dualistic mind as all there is to conscious human consciousness, the loss of the uh, I, then um, there's nothing left, uh, and you've exposed quote unquote exposed the illusion of the dualistic I.
Mm-hmm. But that they, uh, there's no soul in pure Zen or Advaita Vedanta. There's you know shards and sh- um, what do you call them? Uh, the um, oh, I always skandhas. Is it one of the skandhas? Yeah, yeah, different skandhas, recombinations of experience, and you know until yeah, which are just metaphysical sleights of hand if you really look uh, at them closely. Oh, there's another whole topic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the point is here is that it's a lot more complicated than dualism versus non-dualism, and it's a lot more complicated in universalism versus personalism. All these segues of consciousness, and you can utilize ayahuasca or, or a number of different plant-based um, uh, uh, psychedelics to um, get to the event horizon. Um, but again, if you're that might be a perfectly appropriate for a middle-aged soul but not for an older soul, uh, except for one like you who has to embody everything in order to become an expert. <laughs> I was also really I've been curious about ayahuasca since you know I was 15 I years old, so sure. there it was. Yeah. Well, next lifetime, you won't have to do any of that. Just think of it that way. You've got yeah. it all done. You've dead-ended all the possibilities here of advanced consciousness teachings of, of, for the last 5,000 years, basically. Yeah. So next next lifetime you can be me and I'll be elsewhere and you can uh, you won't have to go through this stuff to know it already because I, I only know this because I went through past lives in these ways uh, mm-hmm. I was a shamanic healer in many lifetimes a long long time ago mm-hmm. uh, so in this way um, what we're trying to do is put a whole new spin on the fact that uh, uh, tribalism collectivism and energy raising consciousness energy. Um, is old paradigm relative to identity, and and it's and and this the expansion of it um, is exactly the crest of a wave um, in the present moment that looks like it's wow it's like worldwide popularity, but what the we all know what the future of a crest is uh, yeah. and that uh, crest of a wave and that's a collapse. And it's just like politically and, uh, and so many other domains, all the cresting that's happening, uh, that's gagging us in the news, it's all pr- predicated on a collapse here coming. Because uh, the, the future of a wave is always, or the future of a crest is always a trough. So in that sense, uh, let, let's go on to some of the side effects that can happen when you um, uh, take part in plant consciousness evolution, uh, especially one as powerful as ayahuasca. So why don't you talk about your experience, what happened and, and what we did with it here. And oh, the parasite. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, that was wild because, um, yeah, it was like just I don't remember two, three months after reconnecting with you a couple of years ago. And you just one day said, like, I think you have a parasite. And I immediately it was like I had forgotten, but I remembered a, a ceremony that I think was like a year and a half prior to that. And because I wrote poetry to try to capture my um, ayahuasca Mm -hmm. experiences, which is what the book will be largely comprised of, I looked back and found it. And um, and and sure enough, like I'd written down what the experience was. And it was right as the um, medicine was starting to turn on. And usually the experience of it, unless you drink a lot, usually it kind of cycles on and then it backs off and cycles on a little stronger. And it was really remarkable because it felt to me like something very quick happened. It felt like a suit of armor or clothing descended from above and like just boom, like just was on me. And I'd never, you know, and I'd done easily 60, 70 ceremonies before that. I'd never felt anything happen that fast in the Mm -hmm. first hour, really. Mm -hmm. 
And I remember having the thought, uh, that could be a parasite. And, um, and, it, and it was just like, well, whatever. I don't have time to deal with that now because like, I got to get ready because otherwise she can hit you like a ton of bricks. You can't just go sneaking around in your head thinking about stuff. So I was like <laughs> buckling my seatbelt on. Like if it's a parasite, I can't deal, deal with anything but now. Maybe I could have. I don't know. Um, and then I forgot about it, but it felt like a suit of red armor um, that like like wove into my bones somehow, mostly in my upper body. And then I and then I described that to you when we were talking, and you were like, "Yeah, that's it." Um, and then there was actually I forgot this part because there was um, uh, after that after it came into me, and I didn't really know what had happened. I had a ceremony probably I don't know three to six months later where. I, I think it was trying to get purged out of me. I think ayahuasca was trying to get it out of me. And it was a really gnarly night where, and I remember the uh, the visuals of it. It looked like a job of the hut only with like 50 eyes. And it was really disgusting. And I was dry heaving. And I thought I remember seeing it as this being. And I really thought I'd gotten it out. But I think I had just sort of moved it around a little bit and, and gotten to know it better. But I had um, lost a bunch of weight. Uh, it was, I was having a lot of neck pain, um, and tightness around my neck. Um, and I, uh, my cholesterol had gone up about 20 or 30 points for really no good reason too. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you want me to go on and then you, you took, then we negotiated yeah. with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we had to differentiate the mm. presence voice of this uh, being. It was yeah. a real big, we'll get to that when Joseph uh, finishes his uh, amazing uh, story. And here. one of the key points when I sort of unpacked, because in the identity paradigm, um, uh, parasites, we're not victims of parasites. You have to look and find what is the wound that they're stuck to, such yes. that because they're opportunistic. And then right. I remembered and looked back in my journals that uh, I had uh, right around that time, I had just broken up with a woman that I was dating that I was very excited about and then realized yet again I was completely delusional about. And so there was a profound loneliness and disappointment that was going on at that time. And then I, as I started to, I think I was journaling with the parasite as, as you instructed me to do. And it became clear that this um, entity was became a companion for me and was filling a loneliness hole. And that was my contribution and that gave it access to me in that way. Yeah, I well, want to just retell um, how how it got, what it felt like to get rid of it, or uh, what we did there. You you probably have more memory about it than I do. Um, yeah, I, go, I channel a lot of this stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't well, hold on to it head. Well, there was another person involved, and I don't want to betray yeah. their confidence. Um, uh, there was another person involved who uh, also had a parasite, and we ended up using a connection between my parasite and their parasite yes. <laughs> uh, as a way to, to get them together sort of semi-energetic romantically. Exactly. And yeah. so they, because you have to give parasites a place to go, uh, yes. you know, a better alternative. Um, right. And first you have to differentiate, then you got to own your contribution to why they're there so you can pull that back. And then you got to give them a good out. Um, right. So, you know, a better place to go. Uh, and yeah, and I came to Santa Barbara, uh, and, and we did that. And, uh, I remember it kind of hurting. I can still feel an ache in the back of my fourth chakra about it. Cause that's part of where it was anchored in. Um, mm -hmm. 
And I remember uh, gaining a lot of weight back in the following months and feeling a lot better. And I've been pushing that already beforehand, but sure, uh, sure. yeah, I, and I'm, I'm still about uh, six or seven pounds up from then. It was mm -hmm. literally like um, wasting me away in some ways. Yeah, your um, your your adrenals were just uh, yeah. not happy, um, and your whole metabolic state. These entities have the power to alter metabolism, mm -hmm. uh, and and uh, this is scary stuff. And so, um, what what is also part of that? Um, what helped get rid of that thing for Joseph was all those everything he described plus a little magic. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I use that word. Uh, it's I called Icor um, that which of which that which of which everything is made. It's um, what we would our the only word we can get close to is is essential love, um, and and that uh, that added to the mix of all the preparation. It worked. Yeah, I'm. So, I feel bad. I, I'm sorry I didn't mention that because to me, <laughs> your magical abilities with Avaprana and hands-on stuff is so. I've seen it so many times. It's sort of like, well, obviously, and then Stace did some magic too. That had to happen. It didn't, didn't even seem interesting for me to bring it up. Of course, <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, I, I I appreciate that. Um, you've been acclimated uh, pretty yeah. pretty seriously, and that's fine. But it's just I just don't want I want people to know that you yeah. can't do this yourself. You no can't way. Self help here, um, and what we're calling affectionately calling magic is um, is is um, uh, able to be experienced by people as valid and real uh, if they surrender in a in a healthy positive way to uh, what it might actually how it might actually help yeah. folks. When it's, Stace it's like, said he, I needed to come get on a plane to get rid of it. I didn't even think twice about it. Like, okay, yeah, that's what I know. That's what we got to do. Yeah, you can't do. I don't care how good a shaman you are. You can't do remote healing for these kinds of entities. And I want to make a distinction here. There's, um, and to use some old terms. Remember those terms, flotsam and jetsam, mm -hmm. uh, in the Middle Ages uh, after a shipwreck. You know. Yeah. Uh, I always get the as uh, as as on the spectrum as I am. I never can remember the difference between it. But there's flotsam and jetsam floating around, uh, partial unconscious um, detritus, as it say, in in the etherics in the ethereum, and these can attach to us much like uh, uh, germs attach to our physical cells and can infect us. Um, but only if if and only if the valence bandwidths of these of these of this detritus floating in the ethereum uh, is magnetized to a bandwidth of wounding in us, which is why emotive maturity um, basically guarantees if you become the authentic soulful you that got conditioned out of you in childhood and by your society and culture, uh, there's no place to land for not only this stuff floating in the ethereum, but for conscious beings like this thing that was in you. And I want to make the distinction between that and the race, the 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 domain of consciousness that Jabba the Hutt with the hundred eyes was a Devic Gephian. Yeah, a mm -hmm. Devic Gephian um, that um, jumped in in a very vulnerable moment in Joseph's um, uh, um, arc of consciousness evolution. And this is the this is one of the penalties you pay if you're an older soul and you set it up to want to embody everything to a maniacal end, there's a risk here of this happening because the older the soul, the juicier the feeding 
uh, older souls have a whole lot of more experience than younger and middle-aged souls, maybe a hundred more lifetimes or two hundred more. And in that sense, they're juicy feasts for these uh, Divic Gephians. And so we got two Divic Gephians together and with a little of um, Icor uh, magic uh, thrown hands-on healing, um, we sent them off uh, to Divic Gephian land to do whatever they were going to do. They had each other, so maybe they wouldn't sniff around for some some vulnerable older souls doing um, pre, uh, pre-egoic activity. And that's the best way to summarize it. There's no criticism here, just sequela, just sequela. And if you know what the sequela are, um, uh, if we can, as we say so often, where there's a real diagnosable problem, there's always a real healing solution. You just have to get to the uh, the correct diagnosis. So and we I would also add, if, if anyone has the idea that a talented shaman can somehow keep these spirits out of the room, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> so excuse me for laughing. Uh, um, they may see them and they may want to throw white light at them or burn some sage or uh, read your tea leaves, but it's not going to make these things go away. Uh, yeah. It's just not. It's a free will's a bitch, uh, even in the ethereum here. And they just, it's like, it's like the old exorcisms, you know, the power of Christ compels you. Yeah. When, the, when the arbiter of an exorcism is an emotionally stunted uh, Catholic priest who has no more embodiment of God, all they do is believe in God. Um, they've got no power to transmit God through words uh, uh, written out of a out of a little book. Uh, so these kinds of things, same thing with shamans, just because they may sense beings in the room and throw and throw some white light at them, they might get, take a little distance from it. But the only thing, the only thing that gets rid of them is exactly why we have the, all these stories about vampires. What happens at dawn for vampires? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they got to get out of the sunlight. Sunlight gets them away, uh, burns them away. And the metaphor here is apt because it's love, real divine being bandwidths of love, which very few shamans in their energetic world embody because they yeah. don't live emotionally and love and icor are emoto soulful be uh, uh, bandwidth you can't get rid of this stuff unless you shine so much icoric love that they can't bear it and they gotta they've got to run away and that has to that icoric love has to go through a personal tube not just a universal one it can never be yeah. universal. Um, they came out of the universal to feast on the personal. On the personal, yeah. <laughs> so, which means you've got to go into the personal to get them the hell out. Right. And so, this uh, shaman that that I I know, I would say he's a brilliant energetic holding space person, and sure. created that sense of safety so you could really go into your stuff. But like I said before, did not process reality emotionally, and so yeah. that creates an energetic holding space, but not an emotional holding space. And so right. there's holes in that. Yeah, and that, those holes is exactly what these kinds of beings take advantage of. Yeah. And I, I want to make a clear and another clarification in this domain is that when we say emotional, we mean emoto soulful. If mm. you don't process reality emotion as 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 primarily emoto soulful before we format into any other bandwidth of consciousness. Uh, you're going to be missing the lion's share of what healing is all about, real healing, not just temporary healing or um, energetic healing. Emoto-soulful healing requires us to go personal and emotional. Mm. 
And if we don't do that, and I don't know any shamans that qualify, uh, and I've known literally dozens and dozens of them in my old long life here. Um, and so none of them are qualified, and that's okay. They're middle-aged souls, uh, and they they serve a particular clientele, a segment of consciousness that needs to go through that. So no criticism. All of this is about the risks you take if you're an older soul. That is more than 300 lifetimes in the last 100,000 years or so. Uh, these are these can be real traps to get hooked into, not for every old older soul, but for some, depending on what happened to them in childhood and what kind of wounds they carry. So mm-hmm. what we're calling parasitism is, uh, is we would also call it etheric attachments. Um, we don't use the word possession, uh, even though they can, in younger children, appear to take possession of the consciousness and the will mechanism. Most of the time in adults, they oh. can't. So what they do is devolve to metabolic manipulation. Um, and so that's that's why... Yeah. It, the Exorcist uh, got an uh, got a um, back in the '60s got some cultural became a cultural meme, but that was a young child, and those kinds of things can happen. But largely, exorcism by the Catholic Church is um, not successful. Even if they get rid of it for a moment, it'll just go into another child nearby, and so they've just um, mitigated one thing but caused it a, a problem for another. So uh, going that whole route, I'd like to, um, I got the permission of the person, uh, even though it, the, the person is in, uh, is anonymous, I won't use the name, I got permission to tell a story that just happened uh, 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 in, in this last six weeks while Bree and I were in Europe at one of our seminars. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I got full permission to um, offer this, and people who in the audience uh, know this person, please hold that uh that confidentiality as sacred please because I got permission only on the fact from this person that it is anonymous. And so in that sense, um, it was a really strange set of circumstances, and I'll do a short version of it here, where um, a, a, a woman, um, uh, uh, her moment where this a, a diva Geffian came into her was during um, some early childhood sexual impropriety. Uh, by an older man, and uh, it was in this uh, being, uh, in the in the in the man, and it went into this little girl when this happened. It was uh, wasn't a prolonged thing, but it, all they need is one one opening that way, and they will just uh, there was the uh, the little girl that it, it jumped into was a far juicier juicier feast of soul than the uh, the haggard old guy that it was attached to before. Mm-hmm. And so this was a this was not just a flotsam jetsam um, kind of thing. This is a conscious being. And uh, but I but prior to that, all the symptomology couldn't be explained. This uh, woman as an adult uh, um, um, uh, had the experience of no matter how little calories she ate, she gained weight. Oh wow. No, there was no, she went, did every possible um, uh, checking out what was happening there. No explanation that, that modern medicine could do to this. And so um, uh, finally, um, and, and uh, she was working in the paradigm, trying to um, do as far, go as far as she can. And it was, she was so um, uh, advanced in the work that it finally hit a dead end where no more emoto soulful work could work and we had to come in with some 
um, meta reads. And, and so in the seminar, uh, actually uh, in, uh, uh, in a session with her, uh, we, uh, it was Bree and I and another um, uh, EBE uh, and Solmenter. Uh, I, 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 she was just, this woman was just distraught. How, why am I, she would eat, eat less than a thousand calories a day at less than 500 or 750. And she would still be gaining weight. It was just crazy. Mm -hmm. So I, I looked and all of a sudden there it was. Um, it had buried itself like a, it was shaped like a snail a snake snail um it, she was too advanced in consciousness a soul an older soul that it couldn't get into sixth or seventh um, but it dug in in the rear of of five the will the will and that's where mine up. was yes um and did the same thing with four three two and a slight extension into one. Oh boy and this this thing was in this uh, this uh unfortunate uh, beautiful being since uh, early childhood and this person is approaching their fifth decade of life. <clears throat> so it, basically, this woman has known nothing else but this oh, uh, wow. her, her, her whole life. So w when I saw what it was, I said, I think you've got an attachment. And uh, all of a sudden, um, in her eyes, uh, the uh, my Brie and this other insolmenter saw saw it in, in, in this woman's eyes. And so... And, and we all saw it at the same time. Um, uh, I saw it on the back first, but then it came as soon as it was it was exposed as being seen. All of a sudden, it was it, it just came at like this, yeah. and so um, it freaked out. It was really freaky, and I've said done so many of these things that you know I knew what to do, uh, but it was fierce. It was really mm -hmm. fierce, and I said so. Um, you feel like basically uh, you're. I did a little dialogue with it, uh, and all it kept saying was. You can do whatever you like. I will never leave. I will never leave this being. Mm -hmm. And so it was arrogant as hell. And so they um, always I, seem to be. It's like all, an archetype. It's just, it's just crazy. And so I I assume that um, since this person lived in Europe and Bree and I live in America, that there's no way when I saw how deeply this thing was on the on the back of her and uh, her soul side and her spine, um, manipulating her metabolism. It kept increasing her weight because she kept healing so far in the paradigm's work that uh, it had to keep adding weight to blunt the growth that her soulfulness was coming forward oh, like from behind. Make territory it could control. Exactly uh -huh. right. It added cellular weight to try to impede the soulful emergence from the rear to the front of oh, her life. Oh, wow. You see? Uh -huh. it, and this was the explanation why there was, she was gaining weight, was this entity manipulating her metabolism, not her consciousness, her metabolism, her physical being. So um, I assumed this was going to be a long-term effort and uh, and that there was no way that this could be done remotely. So I, I didn't really know what... The, what the, I knew that what I didn't know how the prognosis was going to turn into a healing in practical terms. Uh, and then uh, uh, we get to a, uh, a seminar and uh, the old it takes a village thing uh, mm -hmm. uh, took shape. And uh, in one of the seminars, she owned uh, that this uh, um, this diagnosis and she could actually feel that after it was diagnosed, she could feel it and she wanted this thing off of her. Can you imagine oh, her God. whole life burden that way? Yeah. Well, the vibe that was set up that we set up in this seminar um, was such that um, this affected everyone 
um, there had already been an emoto soulful congealing and and um, uh, a dynamic in the room. And so uh, all of a sudden it became evident, well, wait now, uh, I had no idea. Brie, she was ahead of me on this one. She she never saw that it was going to take months, but I had no picture of how it would ever be possible that it could be done suddenly, except all the work that she'd done, it showed how desperate this entity was by, by adding on cellular weight to try to impede the soulful emergence of the deeper being of this woman. So um, I asked her, uh, we went through a, a, um, a really direct kind of um, avra prana with her. Um, her beloved was part of it. Um, Brie was part of it. Uh, at any rate, um, the, the thing started to uh, uh, it couldn't resist the vibe in the room uh, and our combined icor that Bree and I and a couple others were doing, and uh, the thing started peeling off. And at that moment, the person um, uh, she she bent over while she was standing up and being supported by people, and just started vomiting Ethereum wow. uh, right out of her mouth. And I put my hands uh, underneath and took took it and I can know how to metabolize it and out my seven pretty directly. So I took it, took all the effluvia, the etheric effluvia, and then it just like boom, 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 just pop, pop, they all popped and, and the thing flew uh, off. And I, and I will say that one thing about the other shaman, uh, this person got that uh, didn't know about David Geffians, of course, but it said that um, uh, uh, this person felt that it's the tribe it came from was was not appreciating what this being had done to this person this whole life believe it or not mm -hmm. uh, and, and wanted to take it home and so uh it turned out two of the uh two other diva geffians were in the room to help this oh. dynamic now i've never seen a diva geffian want to take something help take something off a person but uh they they were upset with this particular soul, Divic Geffian, and so they. I have to give credit to the other shaman for bringing them into the yeah. room. I would not not have heard that cool. or seen that. So that was a real plus uh, mm -hmm. to it. And as it turned out, as the as soon as the thing started peeling off, and she started uh, vomiting the uh, etheric effluvia, uh, all the things popped, and uh, she uh, collapsed out backward into um, the people's arms. And we did a little follow up and. Um, uh, we did another follow-up uh, a little later uh, uh, in, the, in, the, in that week, and uh, she just, well, she just couldn't believe the, the feeling of freedom because she'd never known that this thing was on her. And now without it, it was, it yeah. just got, in, yeah. Now, I would predict someone who'd had an, an attachment, an etheric parasite, since they were a kid, yeah. I would predict there would be some emotional fallout from that that would create some confusion disorientation problems absolutely she, she reported all of that in a, in a long email as a follow-up and uh, all of it was consonant uh with with the experience and resonated and uh but it, it will always end, it, it ended up in her post uh, uh intervention processing it all ended up in the positive uh, even though yeah. there were some some real disorientation. Well, it's just like removing a tumor, right? It's going yeah. to be an injury, but it's going to be able to heal better than when the tumor was there. Exactly right. Yes. Mm -hmm. So um, this kind of stuff, this qualifies for shamanic healing, but with an emoto soulful primacy of, of human consciousness being as the 
arbiter of the paradigmatic intervention. Now, that was a mouthful, but um, uh, mm -hmm. in other words, this these kinds of things are po are possible, but only uh, with emotional soulful prim primacy of human consciousness. Otherwise, uh, that thing would have held on till she was till she passed this lifetime. But the, all the work that she did with Brie, who's an emoto soulful shaman in herself, um, I uh, I want to start calling her an emoto soulful shaman now after uh, <laughs> after how she's completely rebooted the personal work in uh, identity because uh, she's a, a shamaness literally mm -hmm. uh, with the work that she does and you know about that oh yeah so so the point I want to make here is that um, a throwing this other shaman oh, no, I don't want to say any more about that but standard shamanic um, interventions and, and paradigmatic assumptions in metaphysics could never have taken this off and that's because since 2012 yin divinity, has taken over the main um, flavor uh, and bandwidth of the God field. And in that sense, uh, will to manifest and energy uh, um, based paradigms are now obsolete and have been obsolete since 2012. And every year that goes by since 2012 gets more uh, and more and more um, thin soup for any kind of uh, deeper interventions. Uh, so the will to manifest paradigms, um, they're, they're, they'll fall off the first, uh, the easiest. But the shamanic, raise your vibrations to get to universal consciousness, whether you're helped by a, a plant medicine or not. These are all uh, are, are rapidly becoming obsolete for all uh, any, any older souls uh, that will no longer work. Uh, um, it's an older souls over 300 lifetimes that are challenged the most now to reboot their whole worldview into emoto soulful primacy as it's always been but never been possible into earth consciousness to um, actually be workable mm. so that's that's um, our first uh, installment here on uh, on uh, how we feel and that, and we say we feel that's emoto soulfulness um, therefore we are affects uh, shamanic healing and uh, some of the um, ancillary um, uh, sub-paradigms that come out of shamanism. Is there more to cover on shamanism? I can't think of well, anything myself. Well, uh, I can think of one other domain that's uh, a new one, just too, a little too late here in the podcast to start, but I want to reference for one more, at least one more, okay. and, and that is Kundalini. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Kundalini is an, an energy-based uh, enlightenment path that's time-honored uh, in the pre-egoic, largely still pre-egoic culture of India, uh, still to this day. Um, and their pre-egoic, their pre-egoic past uh, says a lot about uh, about um, how porous India has been to the other side, we could say, or or deeper metaphysical um, uh, transmutate transformations. Uh, but their day, uh, the India's day has passed, um, and the only reason uh, they were got so such wonderful breakthroughs in uh, in in both uh, uh, Hinduism and Buddhism was because they're so young, so so young souls. Mm -hmm. They the the youngest of all, and that means they're porous to the divine that's that they came out of. And mm -hmm. so they've been a great continent, subcontinent for in the past for getting things started. But now that that the sun has set on that and the moon has risen. And uh, and in that sense, uh, Kundalini, and I want to talk more about this and how 
kundalini interfaces with the whole chakral flow systems that a lot of shamans are of course that's their bread and butter is uh, mm -hmm. chakra work so i'd like to cover that in the next one kundalini and what identity sees as a radical change in the way the chakra flows uh, um, happen in the human body especially in uh, uh the fact that there's only six chakras not se six chakral structures and not seven mm -hmm. one and seven being one chakral tube just like front and back of uh, um, uh two three four five and six are does this um, include uh, does this include the diksha stuff is that related closely yeah. enough to kundalini closely enough sure so all the sort of shakti let's, transmission type stuff shakti all that kind of stuff is all involved with this idea uh, and identity remaps the entire chakral system that's now consonant and resonant with yin divinity's um, tenure as mm -hmm. the god field these days. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to preserve that it's, uh, um, uh, for next time. And I think that'll take care of it for uh, for uh, shamanism. Uh, okay, so as we close, I just want to share with people, for any doubters uh, in the audience, um, just that in the last couple of minutes, the breadth and depth with which we can um, criticize shamanism and transcendent Buddhistic paradigms and Kundalini and all that. I just noticed, just want to sort of reveal that um, I notice in myself a voice that's like, really? Is identity so big that we can actually address all of this stuff? Like it starts to seem a little bit crazy to some part of me at a certain point. Sure. Because it's almost like too good to be true or like how could one paradigm, you know, do emotional healing, do a mental body awakening, uh, enlightenment, de devotional relationships, remove parasites. It, it's almost like, you know, and for 1995 plus shipping and handling, you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll send you this. Too. It's, it, it's like it can't, it can't possibly be this big. And yet I know and have direct experience of it being that big. And yet there are moments like this where some part of me is like, this is just, I, I must be crazy. This, it can't be, you know? Well, um, let, let, let's, let's reframe. That's a beautiful point to make. And I'm right with you on it. <laughs> I, I have that feeling 24 seven. You do. Myself. You have that like, yeah, is, am I course. crazy? It's too. <laughs> uh, this, this is the only reason why it's actually maybe possible that it is that big is because I've constantly got self doubt about it. Mm -hmm. um, it's always being questioned by me and I'm the arbiter, uh, the, the inceptor. So I got to be re responsive to being making sure it's uh i'm i'm administering it or embodying it in clean ways because it's so big and in its possibility of being true i've got to be so careful never to be dogmatic about any of this yeah sure. uh, and I, I remember our first pot one of our first podcasts where we said that some of the things that really confuse human consciousness mm -hmm. is they don't get soul species they don't get soul age yeah. Um, there's different parameters, which is why there's dogma in the in the in the earlier um, iterations of spiritual bigness. But there's no dogma in identity. I, I'm I, I'm always um, astounded by what it can do. And until we hit a dead end, um, I'm just exploring. And so are you. And but yeah. if you didn't feel crazy, like how could you? What, a kid from um, uh, Massapequa, where are we Mass from? Massachusetts. Massachusetts, not Massapequa. Nearby. Uh, yeah. uh, 
how could you have stumbled on this thing? And am I a crazy man? Uh, yeah. I, I should, you know, um, I've had that. I, I may be a crazy man since I was about uh, 25. I've, I've had to mm-hmm. live with it. And I'm 70. I'll be 72 this year. So um, this is a lifelong uh, exploration for me. And I love that you brought this point forward because uh, I share it. And uh, until um, I see that uh, it dead ends somewhere, I'm always looking for that dead end. Um, I'll just keep exploring and keep offering it non-dogmatically as what if this might be true? Let's remember, this didn't come out of nowhere. I've had two... Well, I, I don't want to say how many lifetimes I've had. Let's just say a ton. You've been and around. I've been around. <laughs> um, and so uh, that's that's not the only thing. The whole planet and, and the God and divine beings nurturing of it will to manifest until 2012 and now yield to surrender since 2012. Um, we've been evolving. The global consciousness has been evolving. And one day, one day, all the things that we've all gone through as a collective human consciousness race, uh, religiously, spiritually, uh, humanistically now in the last 150 or 200 years, one day there would, um, it makes metaphysical sense to me that there would be finally a distillation of all the things that we've come through as a species for the last well, I'll say eight, eight to 10,000 years. Atlantis uh, went down in 12,000 12, years ago. So since 12, the last 12,000 years, there's been a culling uh, of all the paradigms. And maybe, maybe um, uh, identity is the first uh, entree into the global consciousness of that distilled possibility that maybe it is it is what it might, might be um, and to keep exploring it and testing it. And again, only for those yeah. uh, that are called yeah. to it. And at the very least, you know, when I start thinking about how crazy it feels, it's like in some ways it does seem crazy. Identity is crazy. And it's certainly, well, I wouldn't say it's crazy. It's crazy making. It creates crazy, crazy making, making feelings <laughs> in the experience <laughs> of it. Yeah, let's not confuse the feeling with the reality. Right, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't want to project. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the process can be crazy making. And then, um, you know, at least I'd say once a month, there's some mm-hmm. serious consideration in me that's like, I don't know if yeah. I can do this anymore. It's getting so hard. And I always run up into, okay, okay, it seems crazy at the moment, but it's never as, it, how do I say this correctly? It's it's always less crazy than everything else. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. I I, I second that motion. I, I I see you and I call you uh, on that one. Uh, it's uh, uh to me it's not it's not any it's less crazy than what's out there in the transcendental world in in, in the energetic world in mm. the um, in the uh, atheistic world. Uh, um, yeah. Oh, we should take up atheism uh, after. Mm. Uh, after uh, we'd finish uh, shamanism next time. Okay. Another idea. So anyway, that's it for today, um, I guess. And uh, thanks for letting me uh, hold forth and um, share your crazy making feelings. Uh, <laughs> it's in my bones. I can't get rid of the crazy making feeling. It's it's part of my life now, part of my world. Yeah, it's, it, it appears to be the same for me. So thank you, Stace. Thank you, listeners. And um, it's good to be back. I, I, there's a, there was a hole over those last six weeks or so where we weren't doing these. So happy to be doing them again and excited to pick up next time with part two of shamanism. And I don't know, I guess it'll be 
energy work maybe we fold in energy work in general there sure absolutely yeah. and maybe maybe it gave time that six weeks gave time for people to catch up uh, yeah i was thinking the same people yeah. aren't listening in order anyway i've talked to a few people that i'm probably okay. going to stop saying that they've been warned <laughs> they've now, been warned. you're, you're not just, responsible i'm you thank know? you exactly that's what i'm working on i've for 50 odd episodes i told you listen in order now you're on your own if you get confused it's your problem <laughs> oh, I feel a relief in saying that. Thank you. Yeah, I'm. I'm learning. Stace is helping me find the difference between responsibility and responsivity, which is an issue that for me goes back at least uh, a thousand plus years. So it's helpful. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Absolutely. So thanks, Joseph, uh, as always, for your loquaciousness, your wisdom, your humility, your humor, um, all of it. Thank you. Thanks, Stace. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for listening, everyone. Tune in next time. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. To learn more about Stace Barron and Identity, please visit identity.org. To learn more about Joseph Shapiro, visit clearandopen.com. Until next time, we wish you well on your journey.